What's up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the Macro Insights Podcast, where I'm joined by Rob Nunn. Rob is an angel investor in multiple different kinds of companies, so he has a unique perspective when it comes to the overall macro environment. We also talk about the state of politics and everything, AI, and much, much more. So tune in for another action-packed episode. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, please subscribe wherever you're listening to this, getting podcasts, because subscriptions and listens and all that kind of stuff uh, really does help me bring quality guests onto uh, my show. So if you really do enjoy it, uh, the support will be greatly appreciated, and it'll help me bring on some more guests for you here down the line. Also, please remember, this is not financial advice. Everything you hear in this podcast is strictly the opinion of Rob and myself and should not be taken as financial advice because it's definitely not financial advice. Can't be more clear than that. Now, let's get into the episode. Whoosh. What's up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the Macro Insights Podcast. But first, I'd like to give a huge shout out to my sponsor, Idaho Armored Vaults. That's at goldsilvervault.com. You can find them. You can go and check out Bob and the team who have been running the show since uh, 2008 to help protect your financial assets and private property outside of the current financial system by giving you the listener and or client to, uh, I don't know, Armored Vaults, uh, access to the precious metal markets. So they are a vertically integrated structure. uh, They have vertically integrated structure, procures transport stores and provides extensive liquidity of the precious metals markets where, you know, it's very difficult to get into. Uh, So give goldsilvervault.com a uh, check out and uh, tell them Green Candle sent you. Give Bob a call. Go ahead and talk with them. And yeah, get yourself some exposure to potentially the uh, precious metals market in a very volatile and uh, unexpected unexpected inflationary time. Obviously, it's not financial advice. So go ahead and give them a call and see if, uh, you know, it's a good fit and tell them Green Candle sent you. And if you're listening on YouTube, uh, go ahead and give this video a like and subscribe to the channel, get a notification every time one of the new episodes drops or some clips or something like that. Uh, those subscriptions, views, likes, all those kind of things really do help me bring in great guests. And I have one in the waiting room here. I got Rob Nunn. Rob, how are we doing today, man? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. You're joining from me from across the pond. So uh, I appreciate you jumping in and coming on the show. But th- for those who don't know much about you, why don't you give a, a little spiel about who you are and how you got to where you're at today? Sure. Um, I'm Rob. Um, I'm founder of a company called um, Park West Holdings. Uh, we founded the company in 2018. The whole purpose of the business was to build more companies, essentially create a platform in order to build businesses. I've got too many ideas in my head um, and we needed a sort of centralized place to start from. And uh, myself and a a great business partner um, founded that, as I say, five years ago. And so pandemic and all, but um, we've managed to grow that now to 20 odd companies. I say that sounds a lot, actually. I shouldn't say 20 odd companies, 20-ish business, about 20 businesses. varying mainly in energy, which we founded ourselves, some of which we've taken equity in, um, uh, differing, differing sectors from medical technologies and uh, uh, 
God, blimey, space technologies, um, AI, uh, loads of things, actually. I've, I'm a bit of a scatterbrain when it comes to stuff. Um, my day job is to try and convince brilliant people to join our company so that I don't get anxiety attacks when we can't deliver things. That's primarily <laughs> my job. <is. laughs> um, and so, uh, uh, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. We, we, we kind of met on Twitter and um, with some spaces stuff that you've been doing. And, and I think I was on another one or I can't remember. And, uh, and yeah, we're, we're here today. And I'm very fortunate to be involved in education. Recently uh, founded an education company and, and bought one. Um, we, uh, I sat on the board of a few universities in the US, mainly around technology transfer. So lots and lots of things, do lots of different things, mainly survive. That's the main, that's number one, you know, then be a reasonably good father. If I can also be a reasonably good husband as well. That's fantastic. And then I do business stuff when, when I'm not doing that. Yeah. I mean, Hey, you're, you sound like a jack of all trades, but I want to get into a little bit. You said it in tongue in cheek, but the survive aspect of things, because, you know, you, you started all this journey about five ish years ago. And uh, for those who have been paying attention, or maybe for those who haven't, uh, you know, that means you've gone through the uh, the COVID crash, the COVID run up, and now uh, some uncertain inflationary times, uh, you know, whether we're in a global recession or not, you know, that's really, uh, I, I guess, that, that arguments for, for whoever wants to, to dive into that. But besides <laughs> the point, it's not exactly the, you know, seemingly straight up decade that we had from 2010 to 2020-ish oh. times. So... Uh, why don't you talk about that? Like how, uh, you know, how has that been kind of getting started uh, as an entrepreneur, CEO, like founder, all that kind of things uh, during such an uncertain time? And uh, yeah, how was it kind of, uh, I guess, riding the wave, storm, whatever you want to call it uh, for the COVID pandemic? COVID was interesting. I didn't have the same view on COVID as perhaps other people did, which was this huge roller coaster. although perhaps that's just a symptom of the business we're in or whatever. It was definitely, interesting to see you know initially people i think everybody was broadly panicked at the start and, and by panicked i don't necessarily mean like you know, you know running down the streets and burning things but like you know just in general people didn't know what they didn't know and we didn't know how long it was going to last and so that was kind of initially challenging and I, I have this weird thing where i get very entrepreneurial in my head and absolutely convinced that you know good ideas in my head will be good ideas in reality and so we did a few of those and wasted lots of money um, ch chasing after stupid ideas, um, uh, which which was fun. But yeah, broadly speaking, um, we we went through the pandemic okay. I think there was a few opportunities in there to to take good people. In general, I think we're still suffering with the consequences of that pandemic. And so uh, certainly now what we're seeing in the markets and what we're seeing um, out in the business community is very much driven by policies that were enacted during that time and so we're seeing the consequences of those pan through and I think one of the challenging things is when that ends um, perhaps for a long time it will continue to be a problem um, but yeah for us as a business I, I guess I was very fortunate I mean I didn't I didn't really suffer in the same, I didn't have the financial stresses that a lot of people saw, which was tough to see. And we did try and help and intervene and as much as we could. Um, we did see, you know, it, it was challenging to see where the world was going to end up at the end of that process. And and some people have kind of gone back to thinking that we're, you know, 
it's like it's exactly the same as it was pre-pandemic and i'm not seeing that either i'm seeing a very different environment now um commercially than we've probably ever seen um commercial real estate exposure bank exposures you know the printing of money that we saw energy prices in europe being hugely um problematic to companies you know higher tax environments lower spending you know all this inflation as we are supply side inflation that saw us go up that's mainly prompted by a pandemic you close it down and then suddenly open it again of course you get supply side inflation so um and we're still living through that and so yeah, it's, it's a tricky, it's a, it's a tricky, it's, it was a tricky environment. Certainly for our businesses, we've seen challenges around financial modelling, understanding how to get supply at a reasonable cost or a fixed cost over a period of time. It's very challenging and that can be hard to finance, but um, yeah, in general and, and small businesses that are, you know, we see all the time were, were really struggling and, and some of them really are still struggling, laden with debt you know, emergency debt relief or, or whatever. And so, yes, challenging time. Don't answer your question, but it was a challenging time um, for, for lots of people. It was challenging for us in terms of people. Lots of people, because they were furloughed or whatever, we couldn't convince them to leave their jobs and join us. And so we had this sort of uh, period of time, maybe 18 months, where people just wouldn't move, quite rightly, because they felt safe, right? So, um, which was which was slowing us up a lot. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of interesting that you're, you're bringing that up, because um, at least in the U.S., it's, there was the narrative around the uh, great resignation, like people were kind of quitting one job and then going to another job kind of during the COVID run up um, and going, you know, basically a lateral move and getting like a maybe 20, 30 percent raise um, where right. you know you stay at the same company. It's kind of like a three percent ish raise per year. Um, and obviously, you know, we, we saw the high inflationary um, numbers and things like that. So, you know, in, in your eyes, why do you think you kind of had that that difficult uh, little 18 month period there where you're, you're having some tough times convincing people to join? Was I mean, it the problem was in Europe? Sorry, I didn't inter interrupt you there. I'm really sorry. Um, most of the problem was in Europe because we've got a very we've got a much more socialist government style system to compare to the US. So I'm not saying that the government is socialist, but it's more socialist in that sense. It's got, um, you know, Europe Europe's idea of an intervention is to protect people and pay for their lives. You know, and the United States' idea of an intervention is well, maybe we don't allow you to become homeless, maybe by sending you a stimulus check or something, um, but we, you're still going to have to suffer through those problems, and so. Um, and I don't know which system is better, but they are different. And so, you know, in the UK, in Europe, we had furlough, which was essentially governments paid people's salaries for some, some people were on that for upwards of two years. And they had the opportunity to come on and off it as and when needed, the business needed like a life support machine. And so people who were in those roles, if they moved, lost that protection. And I think that was a a problem in the united states and a lot of our businesses are in the us you know our, uh, i'm primarily earned for the in fact most of my career is most of the money i've ever earned has been from the united states probably because it's much easier to earn money in the us um uh it's closer to what i would call capitalism although I'm, it's arguable with not it fully is true capital not that necessarily true capitalism is a good thing but you know europe is certainly not true capitalism and so much harder to do work in the us we were finding it much more challenging because people who were in larger corporates, which is typically who would be targeting to come into a risk environment, really were anti-risk. So they were, they were 
no, 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 we've just gone through a pandemic. We don't know if another variant's going to pop out and everything gets closed down again. And so I'm not leaving my corporate job to join your startup, which is fat, which is hard enough to get people to do in the first place. And then doubly hard when they like, you know, health insurance is much better and they've got better cover and they've got, you know, insurance around their incomes and all that type of stuff. And so that was particularly challenging. And we're only really starting to see people now open to that idea. I think there's some normalization in the jobs market. I think there's some sensitivity around yeah, how long these numbers are going to stay, these these employment numbers are going to stay this high. And and typically it's the bottom and top jobs that go first and the middle jobs kind of go last. And so, you know, if you're not on the straight and narrow at your company, perhaps you, you miss out on the opportunity. So we're now seeing that fl- sort of free up quite a lot and some amazing talent wanting to leave companies that they've been at for 10 years. Um, but honestly, up until I would say January this year, that was very difficult and January last year was it was impossible it was impossible yeah and uh you know that makes a lot of sense but you're also in like a pretty interesting market you know you're you're in the energy markets uh, obviously Mm -hmm. with all the other things that you listed out as well but energy has kind of been like you know a hot button topic especially the last two years whether it's like the green energy policies um you know Mm -hmm. the OPEC cutting production, um, you know, all these kind of like hot button topics that seemingly, you know, energy was kind of the the main driver for inflation, or at least it kind of seemed that way in the United States. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah, talk about that experience kind of going through, you know, energy startups and, and working with energy companies in such a kind of like, you know, I guess uncertain policy uh, policy time. Uh, I don't even know how, a better way to word that. Um, <laughs> and like kind of like you know the rising uh, costs of uh, you know oil and gas just globally. Yeah, I mean that. Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I, I mean, my my quick five cents on OPEC before I go into that is, of course they did. I mean, they're, they're able to buy Russian oil on a discount because Russia doesn't have access to international markets and sell it at full market rate. Therefore, you don't need to produce as much oil. So you're saving your reserves and you're getting a marginal gain. That makes total sense to me. Um, whether or not that's good for the global markets is irrelevant to them. They're just trying to make the most money out of oil. And if we are, you know, and, and as we go through this energy transition, however that, what energy transitions, I should say, because there's multiple happening at the same time, um, you know, oil is going to be ta- attacked more and more. And so they need to protect the asset, despite the fact that I am I am incredibly doubtful that our, our, our daily consumption of oil will actually go to, will actually go down at all, even if we hit net zero, which sounds daft to people, but, um, you know, I, I can't see that um going any other way on on energy companies i mean energy companies are fascinating we we do live in a weird energy policy environment um that's what i will say with this weird prohibition stance at the moment which is um you know the good you know we, we kind of make good the enemy of the great in many ways so you know like you know if you see a reduction in let's say natural gas usage although that's the worst one to get rid of but let's say you know natural gas usage all of the green lobbyists go berserk and happy about that um despite the fact that that drives energy prices up in the short term because they're divesting from fossil fuels which we still need because we can't convert the grid over to green energy overnight and so we've got this sort of constant back and forth 
on that. And I think we've set too much of an arbitrary date on some of these policies. Not that I'm anti the policy. I'm kind of, I'm, you know, pro the policy, I guess. I mean, I'm just anti the time frame. It's not possible without creating, you know, we see politicians come out all the time, um, as great as they are, and they come out and they say, you know, we want a green energy grid. We want it to be sustainable and from renewable sources and sustainable sources. We want it to be cheap. We want it to be effective and we want it to be fast. And they all sound like contradiction in terms to me. You can't have fast anything without it being more expensive. And so just in basic economics, ignoring energy, you know, we've seen that with opening up after COVID, everybody wanted everything really quickly and that drove the price of everything up really, really fast. And so, you know, I, I think we've set an arbitrary timeline probably to keep that in the mind of the public. My worry is we do, and somebody called Rob West, who has a company called Thunderset Energy, who's a fantastic analyst and would highly recommend you look at, um, and your, your listeners look at, you know, said it perfectly. It's like prohibition in the United States. You know, prohibition was a was a really good idea because if we get people off alcohol, everybody will be healthier and it's got some political, uh, you know, ideology to that, some religious ideology to that. But broadly speaking, it was, you know, a policy they set because it was supposedly good for people. And, and arguably it was. Problem is consumption, unit consumption of alcohol was meant to drop by 97.5%. And it dropped by 20%. And what people actually ended up doing was going to illegal markets and drinking things that were far worse for them. 20 years later, and we've reversed that, 20 years after that, we reversed that decision because people were getting unbelievably ill, literally drinking lighter fluid and whatever else to try and get drunk. And, and you know, we look back on that and we think the price of um, alcohol went up by seven or eight times and the consumption stayed the same. People got more ill and and there was no tax revenue from that because it was illegal. And so we lost all of sense of reality. And we'll look back on that now and we think what a daft idea that was as a time in our history. And my worry for the speed element of the green agenda in energy is that we might be doing prohibition again. If we do it too fast and we make things too prohibitively expensive and we ban things instead of replacing them, you know, we get to a point where people may not be able to power themselves, certainly in developing nations, and we price people out of the market because it's so expensive now um, that we essentially create prohibition and people start by burning the cheapest energy they can find, which is wood and coal, and the emissions actually over a 30-year period go up, not down. And so they initially go down and they go up again. And so, you know, I think the policies at the moment are interesting, and certainly navigating that from a business standpoint is, um, an interesting you know uh, maze um, again there are not enough players in this market uh, there's a couple of I say a couple there's a couple of dozen good corporate sized companies that are able to do stuff but there's nobody new joining um, in any sort of meaningful way and and I would like to change that so we, we're we're in the trend we've you know, under part west energy very inventively called after Powerist Holdings. Um, we have, it's essentially a, a sub-holding company. And inside that, we've got startups with probably low probability of success, but, you know, high optimism um, uh, in transmission, in grid battery utility, in some SMR nuclear technologies, um, in terms of commercial rollouts of those technologies. Um, we've got some solar farm activity in Arizona, but it's quite minimal. And so we're looking for 
you know, avenues in which to bring energy to market in the transmission business. Energy is being transmitted a long distance, much, much further away from sources it used to. So the cost of transmission is going to go up, but we also need to put those lines in and, and they're not being put in enough. I mean, uh, somebody in Congress said about the US situation and we're seeing that just operating in um, two planning regions in the US, Kaiso uh, and Miso, that, um, you know, 1800 miles of new cabling on average is being laid every year in the US. That needs to be 18,000 miles a year to hit the 2075 goal for demand, not even green, not even a green energy agenda. And so, um, you know, we need to 10x production on that. And there are not 10 times the companies or the staff coming forward. And so we've got this disconnect. So I'm hoping to try and sort of play a small role in bridging that. But it is difficult. And, it, and it's capital intensive, which is challenging in the current environment um to get people to part with risk capital is 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 an interesting conversation so um so yeah that's what that was a very long answer but that 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 kind of gives a a flavor i hope no i mean that that, that, that's what this is for right the long the long-winded answers to kind of explain you know exactly what's going on because i you know i think it's it's a really interesting time like kind of how you laid out right there's a lot of i guess push for the green energy but you know, to me, it seems like a lot of the push doesn't really seem like they have a lot of, you know, backing on, on what they're doing. Um, and, and, you know, there still needs to be a lot of development, too. Like I, I saw a tweet today um, from from Volvo uh, that says their electric cars making emissions that are 70 percent higher than than petro cars and that mm. driving these electric vehicles is going to take about nine years of driving that before they come, quote unquote, greener than, uh, you know, a I guess, a gasoline power vehicles that they're making. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I agree with you. It seems like there needs to be, you know, more development kind of in this space in order to, you know, one, get that number down, because hopefully, you know, yeah, I guess like in the United States, I'm not quite sure how it works in, in Europe, but in the United States, like a common practice is to lease a vehicle for about three years. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you want to try to get that number down so that, you know, that electric vehicle probably closer to around three years would be at least, you know, net zero compared to, you know, a gasoline power vehicle and kind of encourage that and find ways to kind of, uh, I guess, develop the grid and maybe look at some more alternative energy sources uh, outside of, you know, maybe battery powered or other things like that. So, um, you know, on that note, you know, kind of like a hot button topic has been, you know, nuclear or some of these other kind of alternative energy sources. Have you seen kind of, uh, I guess, a push towards that in those markets? Or do you see kind of, I guess, you know, a reversion of that and, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, a push towards a little bit more of the, uh, I guess, like battery powered markets instead? Yeah, I mean, great question. Uh, there is a, there, there is both. I mean, there's no, I, I can't say that I've seen a net, apart from in Germany, but we will leave that for another day. That's a whole podcast, the German market. Um, uh, very emotive, responsive to policymakers have made that basically impossible to operate, you know, and now they're burning some of the worst, not, not even are they burning coal, they're burning the worst coal you can burn for emissions because of the Russian issue and turning off the nuclear power plants, which is counterintuitive to what they've signed up to. But apart from that, uh, even Japan has reversed its leanings on on nuclear energy. So um, they're kind of pro-turning those on and building more, more of them. And I think there's a reality check in that, which is if you take a kilogram of coal, you get in around, depending on the coal, you get in around 8 to 14 
kilowatt hours of energy um, produced from that kilogram burnt. If you were to do that up to natural gas, a kilogram of a cubic kilogram of natural gas, you're going to be um, and people will no doubt comment on this with the correct figures, but I believe it's anywhere between 35 and 45 kilowatt hours of energy. And if you burn a kilogram of uranium, you're going to get 23 million kilowatt hours. And so energy density wise and emission standards wise, you're looking at something in nuclear that can be contained to a smaller uh, you know, area. It can produce ridiculous amounts more millions of times more energy per per kilogram in energy density um but it's modal it'll be policy it'll either be zero or 30 percent of the grid by the time we get to 2100 and and my hoping is that you know it is 30 plus percent of the grid i don't see why it wouldn't be i understand some safety elements with the new generation of reactors that are currently being built and and now some of them have been approved including new scales production has been approved and I know that others are working on it, but Newscale and Hitachi in general are kind of G Hitachi are on that. Um, have got some fantastic products that that you know are safe. They're non-human invasive. They don't require invasive. Sound like a doctor. Um, they don't require human intervention. They immediately shut down. They don't produce. They don't need water to be cooled, so they don't produce that boiler bomb pressure bomb essentially problem that. You know, we saw with Chernobyl, we saw with um, others, Mar- uh, um, uh, that one. Um, and so, um, you know, I think nuclear has got a, a positive future. I'm massively pro-nuclear. And in fact, um, met uh, with the UK Energy Secretary not that long ago in March um, at Chatham House in London, and he was very pro-energy as part of the Powering Up Britain campaign here. And so... Um, you know, and spoken to several governors in the US um, who have been incredibly pro the idea of building out nuclear fleets. It makes sense. You can move it closer. You need less transmission. It's very reliable. It doesn't require the sun to be shining or the wind to be blowing. Um, it's it's that it's stable in that sense. Whether or not it can take over hundred percent, there's no there's no one solution to want to take over hundred percent of the grid. But I think it's got a very important role to play, and I think it paves the way to the next era of energy generation, which will come from fusion eventually. I know fusion's been coming and, you know, and always will be, but, you know, they've had some monumental breakthroughs here in the UK and in Europe around containing a reaction. Now we're waiting for energy positivity from that reaction. The minute they get to containment and energy positivity, you have a power source. And so then it's how big we can build it. And, and, you know, once we get into that territory, which even if it takes another 300 years, this transition to a cleaner, sustainable energy source now is, is going to be temporary because if nuclear contain, if we're able to get nuclear up, nuclear fusion up and running, um, that'll be the end of every energy you know, uh, problem that we've ever had. You never see a wind turbine again, um, apart from people who want to be off grid or whatever. You know, you know, anybody on the grid won't have that. So massively pro-nuclear but it's a very challenging sector and it requires a lot of public engagement it requires a lot of public education we need to educate the public in such a way that they don't feel they're being patronized uh, which is very very difficult in this day and age because everybody's thinks everything is political and it's not um you know we need to um demonstrate that 
the safety, you know, assurities we've got from these latest generations of reactors are real and not just modeled on a computer. They actually are, have got practical, you know, they practically work. And if we can do that, then I think there's market for microgridding on city levels and microgrids within microgrids. And we get into some very interesting um, setups. Uh, but yeah, it's all coming. I just, you know, hope it would go faster without it being a safety issue. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And do you think like, you know, you listed out like some of the, you know, major, you know, Chernobyl and some of the, you know, other kind of major, yeah, I guess, incidents, accidents, exposure. I don't, I don't know really how to, the best way to describe mm -hmm. that, but do you think that that's probably, uh, or not probably, do you think that's part of the reason why there's almost been like, you know, it seems like kind of like a resistance towards like the nuclear shift. Um, and like maybe that education like arm, you know, is kind of coming around slowly because I, I do see more conversations about it. But it still seems like, you know, whether it's uh, from politicians or just the average person, it doesn't seem like there's, you know, as big of a push as there maybe should be, um, you know, towards like moving towards that, you, you know, given the energy circumstances that we have globally. Yeah, I, I do see a change. I mean, it's always the case, isn't it? When we go for energy, go for something new, right? And then Netflix releases a series about how that old, the old version of it was terrible. And so, and it does really well, you know, that's, that's kind of nearly always how that works. Um, uh, yeah, I do see a, a shift in, in nuclear energy being a, a conversation. Um, it's not as fast as I want it to be, and it's not with the right people all the time, but it's good to see that generally people are interested in it and that, that will stop the kind of fear I think that we've had in terms of, allowing ourselves to build stuff in Europe, you know, in certainly in Western Europe, we haven't built a new nuclear reactor in a long, long time. We're building them now, but these are super duper 5,000, you know, uh, megawatt hour kind of nuclear reactors. They're like 12 or 13% of all UK consumption of energy, huge projects, 50 billion pounds, kind of 70, 80 billion dollar projects, which is amazing, but kind of, you know, doesn't, you know, the, when when people are saying a wind wind per kilowatt hour is a lot cheaper than that, which it is, even though you lose a lot of it um, because it can't be used because uh, you can't store it effectively, you know, um, that's irrelevant because even even if that cost of loss is factored in, it's still cheaper. And so, you know, there's definitely a uh, a conversation to be had around that. I personally hope that all energy sources are considered. Um, I, I'm not I'm not anti uh, any energy source. I think energy in general is the main unlocker to life. Um, if you were to go on the Maslow's hierarchy, it's one of the fundamentals for, for modern life. And so the fact we're talking to today um, is only facilitated by energy. The entire tech cent center uh, and, and um, the entire tech sector even, um, and everything that spins off from it is enabled by energy. The products we're using the, is enabled by energy. And so I think, you know, making that cheaper and more accessible and more reliable and able to grow on kilowatt hour basis per person, per, you know, per capita around the world opens up opportunities for everybody. You know, in the United States, I think, you know, GDP is probably intrinsically linked to the access to energy at a reasonable price. We've seen that with inflation and recessionary fears, if, if we're going to be as... Uh, Candice to say their fears. Um, you know, I, I, 
in the developing world, you can, you can, if you're allowed to call it that anymore, I don't know if you are, but you know, in, in parts of the world that are emerging, for want of a better way of putting it, you know, the direct link to energy is the direct link to education, sanitation, health, water supply, fresh water supply, you know, being able to cook in a clean and healthy way for your body, let alone the environment. Um, that's all unlocked by good access to energy. And then think about those people once those people are educated and they have got uh, access to reliable food and they can sanitate themselves and they can have access to clean water. What the ideas inside that person's head will unlock to the world. You need one in a billion people to have another Elon Musk come out of Africa and, and do something completely different to what he's doing, but radicalize it in a different way. And that'll change the world. And so energy adoption is a good thing. And, and, the cheapest way to do that would be a mix of which nuclear is a massive part of. That would be my uh, 15 cents there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, it can't be your two cents anymore with, with the way inflation is going, right? So, yeah, it used to be two cents in the 90s. Now it's like 29 cents. My yeah. 29 cents. This is... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that that's the way things are going, but it is, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I kind of want to switch switch gears here because you know obviously energy markets are you know a big hot button topic. There's a lot going on in those markets. But you did have a, a tweet earlier today actually, and you you uh, talked a little bit about uh, you know AI and, and that kind okay. of stuff um, uh, earlier um, <laughs> about investing in some of those companies. You know, your, your tweet is AI doesn't scare me. We don't know what we don't know. You're an optimist. Uh, think of all the creativity within the minds of 8 billion people combined with the ability to execute ideas, innovations, etc., to the world in quick time. I believe that it creates a better world for all. So, um, you know, there, it is a hot button topic right now, right? I'm getting in so much trouble now because I'm like saying it out loud. People will DM me. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to put you on the spot for that. But uh, yeah, like let's let's hear your view on AI. I mean, I, I don't think it's like necessarily, uh, you know, I think on Twitter, there's a lot of doom and gloom, right? But there's also no. some on Twitter that... <laughs> uh are are kind of pro the ai pro chat gbt all that kind of stuff so uh why don't you lay out i guess your overall like kind of you know wh where you where you see this going maybe the next uh five-ish years because it does seem like you know we had like the crypto boom kind of from uh you know 2020 or, or late late 2018 ish time to 2021 2022 before the ftx crash it seems like the next kind of boom is going to be ai everybody seems to be investing in it so um you know what, what's kind of your overall view on it and uh i guess where do you see it going in the next uh, five ish years yeah i mean i'm i'm nervous to be clipped and then be called to have a bad take on some of these spaces that i have to go on and talk about it but you know i think um ai wow okay so I am optimistic as a person. Um, I think you have to be if you're setting up companies and, and whatever else. I've met non-optimistic founders and they're typically very miserable and need a job um, because they it's depressing for them, right? Because it's very difficult to get to navigate. And so my optimistic stance is that AI is not here to kill us, which is what Twitter <laughs> seems to suggest. Now, you know, I will caveat that with I'm not, and I think I did put on a reply to that tweet, you know, um, something along the lines of, I'm not immune to the threat that people are suggesting is being posed. I'm just saying that, you know, it's just as likely not, and we don't know what we don't know. My my general line in everything is that we don't know what we don't know. And so to assume, as most of the doomsdayers on Twitter have done, 
that AI, and they're not without, it's not without a valid argument. I'm just saying, you know, you've taken one side of the story and only are promoting that side. And I think, you know, in the interest of balance, it would be interesting to have a, have a different view on that. Um, they, they think that some super duper intelligent AI mega force is going to come out and kill us all. And that's potentially true. I don't know. Um, uh, I, I, I'm sort of reluctant to think that mainly because, you know, AI is a great unlocker. So the first in the first, in the next five years, we've got the opportunity with AI tools and technology, even if that's an aggregated AI, so across multiple, but not a, not a generalized intelligence, just still siloed to unlock uh, people, you know, again, back to what I was saying about energy a minute, a minute ago, if you give these people energy, you unlock their ability to thrive in society. They're able to think about complex ideas and complex solutions. If they can't eat, they're only thinking about food and water. And so the same brain that could unlock an amazing advancement in the human race is stuck thinking about food. If you take away that problem with energy and with food supply and with water supply, most of which is energy fundamentally, if you can give them energy, you give them access, um, you can do the same with AI. And AI becomes a baseline. And the one of the reasons I'm fascinated in it, because I see very many similar links to fundamentally energy as a fundamental. If you look at fundamentally energy as a fundamental, that's a great line. Um, uh, but you know, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, you know, I think AI as a tool will unlock creative people. And what I mean by that, before people comment on this and say, well, you look at Drake and how he, Drake will be fine. People admire authenticity. They look for authenticity. AI will have to provide some 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 way of um, uh, separating fact from fiction, at least in the short term, because otherwise people are going to get very depressed. In the future, you may not worry about it being separate. But at the end of the day, if I got if I listen to a, an artist I really like and then I turn up to a stage and he's not there and some computer's singing to me, I am going to feel put out as an individual. So at some point that has to become reality. But AI as a tool to unlock creativity is going to be huge. Just think about it. Every single person who's ever had even a mildly good idea but doesn't know how to execute it, doesn't even a rubbish idea actually, doesn't know how to execute it, has no way of getting out there, doesn't have the availability of capital, doesn't have the ability to assess the idea's functionality, its ability to deliver, doesn't have any of that, can now speak to it literally very soon, vocally, don't even have to type, um, and talk about an idea, and it can go about executing it for you. It could set up a website, it could send emails for you, it could communicate with people, it could launch meetings, it could do stuff in order to enable that. Now think of the compound effects of creative people who are then unlocked because they otherwise wouldn't know what to do or unable to put themselves out there. Think of the compound effects of that person who would never have put them out there, themselves out there, who now gets the upside of execution, which is what I get to enjoy on a day-to-day basis. And that gives me more motivation to do more. That's going to motivate them to do more. In fact, make them feel almost invincible in terms of putting ideas out there. And my general gist for that is that that's got to unlock i mean we're going to solve a lot of problems like a lot of problems that persist in the world will be solved by even one percent of the population that wasn't available to do this before will be able to do it now 17 million people globally at one percent that's just say a trace amount of people i think it'd be way more than that but let's say a trace amount of people one percent of the global population that weren't able to execute on their ideas before suddenly will 
That's a population the size of France or the UK going to work every day with a tool that can think millions of times faster than them, can execute their ideas properly, um, and can unlock real solutions to real problems. Now think about that in every possible sector, including sectors you haven't even imagined yet because it will create new ones. And think how much faster the human race will progress as a result of that. And people think this is an, it could be a negative thing. I mean, yes, sure. I mean, if super AI gets guns and suddenly thinks we're horrible and thinks the best way to get rid of it is to shoot us, we are all dead. Okay, fine. That seems so far-fetched to me at the moment that, fine, if we want to have that like, hypothetical debate, fine, whatever. It's just as likely, by the way, to not do that. If you can... I think one person replied to me, said, what if it does X? And I replied, what if it doesn't? We don't know. And yeah. so, like, you know, my line on that is, let's focus what we do know, which is every person that I've spoken to who engages with an AI tool that hasn't before feels more productive. Um, and this is early, early doors. And so once we get to a position where it can execute and can grow our potential, I mean, the unlocking will be amazing. Amazing. That's my optimism on AI. Yeah, I, I agree, though. I, I, I do think like used correctly, it will help a lot, you know, with, with efficiency and it will help with, you know, like you said, kind of unlocking maybe some of those people that don't have the access to capital, don't know enough of the people. It'll allow for more creativity, potentially more businesses to, you know, kind of spin out of it. I mean, I, I, I feel like it's kind of, uh, you know, anytime there's some new tech that is being rolled out, there's always like uh, an ounce of resistance that comes with it, you know, whether it's the Internet um you know bitcoin and that that kind of industry and then um you know ai now seems to kind of have that as well but um just truly like i, I guess understanding the way to use it and not and making sure i guess that the tech doesn't get out of control and we're having uh you know allowing people to still kind of uh i guess in a sense think for themselves um you know, uh, but but there is like one aspect of it that does worry to worry me about it is that there is some going to be some inherent bias in AI because it's created by humans and humans inherently have bias. Um, so, you know, I guess uh, in, in that sense, uh, is that something that potentially worries you that, you know, maybe some some of the biases will, I guess, forever live on because of, you know, some of the people that ha are helping create some of these AI programs, whether it's chat GBT or, or something along those lines that when, uh, when you, you see, know. sorry, sorry. So you can talk for an you twice. It's so rude. No, no, that's perfectly fine. That that's the point of this conversation. But yeah, go go ahead. So um, I mean, what do you mean by bias? That's the thing I would say. Well, Is whether it's biases or or yeah, maybe, it could be political. It could be you know maybe ideological. Some, yeah, ideological. It could be you know maybe religious, or it could be you know oh, something yeah. like you know you think about anything. Um, everybody kind of has some sense of, of biases, right? I mean, sure. we just talked about green energy policies, right? So maybe. Uh, you know, AI has some sort of uh, bias related to one energy source over the other kind of thing. Um, so, sure. you know, as people continue to use these tools, it just kind of gets, I, in a sense, like worse and worse down the line as, uh, you know, the AI theoretically, uh, you know, I guess, like leans into those biases more and more. Is that something that you've, uh, I, I guess, maybe thought about or maybe worries you about uh, AI going forward? Or do you think that there's going to be, I guess, a way to, uh, I don't know, kind of uh, move past that or, uh, you know, avoid that kind of a uh, development? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, I, I wanted to clarify what you meant by bias because that can vary from people, which is a bias in it of itself, I imagine. 
Um, yeah, so AI tools today being biased is somewhat known, isn't it? So, you know, you will temper. I think the problem that we have is that we always view things in binary terms. And I know that computers are binary, but we aren't in that sense. I know we are, but we aren't in that sense. We think about things in nuanced ways. And so people go onto a tool like ChatGPT, and if it meets their ideology, I doubt they met any resistance to that. Whereas if it's not, you're noticing it. And we excuse the fact that the human being is observing. So I think it's more a factor that we're, what we're really saying is that we're concerned about people being able to critically think for themselves and just being led by something, which I think is more of a question about our education system and less a case about AI. Um, now, sector-specific AIs will have less bias in terms of political or religious. They'll have more bias towards the sector they're supporting. So there's a bias in any AI tool that creates content for Twitter, for example. It's biased towards Twitter content. And so, um, hence the reason why I was asking about biases. Whether or not that has a political leaning or not, it will be down to whether or not it captured your tone of voice or not. Um, and that's kind of very subjectively personal to you. In terms of chat GPT and, but I mean, we're so early in these things that of course they're, um, you know, they're playing back exactly what it, it probably thinks you want to hear on a statistical basis. And that clearly is, has been at least, I don't know what it's like more so now, that clearly has been more um, left-leaning on chat GPT as we've seen. So, and, um, you know, I'm a bit, I'm one of those sort of die in the hard, you know, not really hugely political liberals who kind of agrees with conservatives and liberals on different things. Um, it did bother me when you saw things like that, because you're thinking, okay, that's a, it seems to be an obvious programmable issue there. I don't know if they fixed that, but I'm hoping that's the case. The problem that I have in general is that politics gets into everything these days. And so, we're kind of, we're finding niche examples as to why it's problematic. And, and that does need fixing, and I'm not dismissing that. And, and we're using that as an example as to why the general sort of movement is potentially challenging. And I, I don't see um, AI structures doing anything but reflecting your worldview and enhancing that worldview. Um, I don't think it's dangerous to see other people's opinions. I think it's I think what is dangerous is if you don't allow yourself to get out of an echo chamber. And so what I see, which is super scary to me more than anything, is, and you see this now seeping through to how businesses operate, which is also alarming to me, is that we're making political statements instead of our customers happy. And our customers don't want, we saw it Bud Light recently, right? So, you know, we, we don't want to see businesses overly politicized, regardless of the merits of that or not. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter. I wouldn't want to see Bud Light come out and say it was pro-guns. Like, why are you doing that? Is it in a complete like what you're talking about? It's a it's a light beer for entertainment. I don't need an AK-47 on it. Thank you very much. Some people might like that, but go get a holster for it or whatever. You know, it. I, I don't. You don't need to have either side of the debate demonstrated. It's a drink, and I'm enjoying my afternoon. And I think companies have got too carried away in that. So, um, I'm I'm very much hoping we see it in my sector with the green agenda. I'm not anti the green agenda. I'm just anti extremists in the green agenda, which seem to be dominating most of the debate and you know blocking people in the street, gluing themselves to roads, throwing paint over painting, valuable paintings and artworks, you know, and generally being disruptive. 
and trying to force through things that they don't understand. You know, these people don't work in the energy sector. They don't understand you can't just stop oil as much as people might want it to happen or not. That's not reality. Even if your campaign principles are valid, the methods are not. And so, um, and I broadly believe in civility. You'll see that a lot in my Twitter feed. I think people are just not civil anymore. I've got plenty of friends. You know, one of the hotly contested things in my view is that gun control, right? So in my world, I, you know, I'm, I spend a lot of time with Americans. I employ lots of Americans. I can see your, your Second Amendment rights being justified, not anti them at all. What I am anti is the, the type of weaponry and the lack of controls over who gets hold of that type of weaponry, right? And as a European, that's really not a political point for me. It just doesn't happen here. So it's confusing to me. Whereas if I say that to somebody who's very passionate about it, that's a very emotional topic. And so we could have those debates and be civil, right? Because I can just say, look, I'm not, I'm not going to stop your Second Amendment rights. I don't think that's the right thing to do. I'm just, I'm just curious over how these people get hold of these weapons. And, and most of it, as it turns out, most of the people who do stuff get hold of them illegally anyway. But like, you know, so don't really solve the problem, but you sort of, it's interesting to have, but then we can walk away friends and still go to the bar and have dinner and, and right? And I think that's being lost on social media when it comes to businesses, when it comes to movements, and it's certainly being lost in AI and, and, and all that type of stuff. And so I'm hoping that tools uh, like that can be altered to neutrality. I just don't, I don't think it's appropriate for programmatic ideas. We both, you know, as I said at the start of this, politics contaminates everything these days. And it, it really doesn't matter to a lot of people as much as the people who are doing stuff think it does. And so I'm hoping, you know, we see some... And, and it, is it a threat, to come back to your original question? Sure. I mean, if we get to the point, though, where we get some sort of super intelligent AI, we'll probably be able to see through that. So it's probably a transitionary issue. Yeah. And I, I mean, you made a great point there about like, you know, obviously what was going on with Bud Light and some of these other companies, but it, you know, it seems like it, it's not just Bud Light, right? I mean, there's a bunch of other companies that are kind of uh, letting these ideologies or, you know, political stances kind of hold through, but it hmm. never seems to really work out the way the companies kind of, uh, you know, I guess anticipate it working out. I mean, especially with Bud Light, obviously that, that was like, you know, seemingly a huge backfire. Anheuser-Busch has seen a huge decrease in sales. Um, and it seems like anytime a company like really, you know, makes a political statement one way or the other, it seems to negatively affect that company. And how many people really want a product that they like to be political? Like, do we really care? I don't want my fridge to have a political opinion. I want it to be a fridge. Like, what are you talking about? My fridge is like my, my fridge company has a political opinion on something. Deliver the damn fridge and leave me alone. Like what? Like, like it, it doesn't. It, that doesn't make any sense to me. We've we've seen it in energy sectors. Energy sectors have got very politicised views. And you're thinking, just literally, I'm I'm indiscriminate. Whoever's plugging into the wall, I will provide you electricity. I don't I don't care who you are. I, that's not my problem. My problem is to deliver you consistent power. Whoever you are, if you're a paying customer and you're paying for the product, it gets delivered. And I think you know, companies that that have managed to stay out of that will do better in the long term because at the end of the day you political opinions are overtly personal and they're also so subjective personally what you and i may agree on may be incredibly nuanced and actually if we got into the details of it we may end up slightly disagreeing with each other even though we broadly agree with the direction or disagree with the direction it is so specific to the individual to try and create product that sort of vaguely markets that 
Uh, we saw it with gay rights and all this type of stuff. You know, uh, people just jumping on and putting rainbows on things. And you're thinking, I don't know. I've got several good friends who are who are you know gay and whatever else, and they're fed up with it because they're like, hold a minute, you're politicising who I am as a person and throwing me into something that I don't necessarily agree with completely. Uh, but I've got to now show up because it's now a marketing thing. I didn't realise my sexuality was a marketable thing. And you don't see that. It, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be Trump or Clinton. It could be gay rights or whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, whatever the problem is, uh, green agenda, non-green agenda, it could be anything, literally anything. Save the pandas, don't save the pandas, whatever it is. You know, I, I, I just think, like, you know, if a company's got profits... And it wants to invest some of those profits or donate some of those profits to what those companies' shareholders think is meaningful. All power to them. That's your money. Um, if you want to put up on your website that you've done that, fine. Don't, though, expect everybody to be happy about that. And certainly don't plaster it all over your products. I just don't think it's relevant. And I, I think I would like to get back to a stage where, you know, I bought a brand because of what that brand is trying to deliver to me. I liked this brand. I trust this brand because, you know, Bud Like, millions of customers like Bud Light. I don't like Bud Light, but millions of customers who like Bud Light, you know, go out there and, and, and drink it. They want to go to the shop. They see the same label every week. They know it's reliable. They're going to go home and they're going to spend time with their family or their friends or whatever, have a barbecue, whatever the hell you're going to do. Enjoy your time. Watch the game, whatever the hell you're doing. And you don't want that to be interrupted by something that might then anger or upset you or, or make you over-related or you know, what on earth has that drink got to do with your political religious it doesn't make any sense and I think companies need to detach themselves from that on a product basis if a company wants to donate its profits to something it's their money do it like yeah, no, and I, and I tend to agree with that as well. I mean, it's you, you see it too, like in, in kind of rolling over in sports, which is also in like kind of another sense of a business as well, right? Like, I mean, the NBA is a very popular league here in the United States, but ratings have never really been been lower during the regular season. They're finding other ways to try to, um, you know, get, get some more eyeballs on it, get more people kind of uh, engaged in the NBA season. But, you know, it seemed like, like every single thing, uh, you know, was something, some sort of political stance. And it seems like the viewership on a lot of these leagues has kind of, uh, you know, varied based on, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, a big political movement or not. Um, and, you know, that that seems to be kind of people's you know escape, so to speak. And it almost seems to be, in a sense, like kind of contributing to the divide. Right. I, I mean, at least in my opinion, where it's like, all right, I'm going to have to buy Bud Light or not buy Bud Light because I'm making a political stance based on the product. I'm going to have to watch the NBA or watch this player root against this player because of one political thing that they said, you know, one way or the other. And so, you know, in a sense, it's, it's almost made every single thing, uh, you know, that we do in our daily lives, some sort of divide, which is, you know, really unfortunate. And especially like in such an inflationary time, you know, when you're trying to start a business or do something else, you know, I, I, in my opinion, you should try to focus on, you know, building up those businesses, trying to figure out how to make a profit, how, how to, uh, you know, make a sustainable, reliable product, all these kind of things. And I think in a sense, you know, the easy, um, you know, interest rate environment that we had from like 2010 till, you know, maybe a six or eight months ago, um, 
you know, that that's kind of, uh, you know, what, what happens when you have such easy access to capital instead of, you know, I guess like really putting your head down and trying to determine, you know, what's best for the company. You're thinking of other ways to make a profit, um, that kind of thing, opposed to to that. Uh, do you kind of, I, I guess, in a sense, agree with that? That's maybe a, a layover effect yeah. from the interest rate environment. I, d I definitely think it's a well. I definitely think over politicization happens when times are easier, and it has been easier. So that you know, people have had the time to think about this. People who are struggling to feed their families don't have time to think about political issues and don't care. They're going to work. They're making ends meet. Um, on on your point about sports, I do have a sports marketing company actually. So and I'm we work with a lot of uh, NFL and NBA teams in the US. Um, one thing I would say about the NBA, the NBA itself needs to be careful, but we need to make sure that the players have the right to express themselves. We don't impede on their their First Amendment rights, but um, and maybe there's some times and places we now enable them to do that, including in their own time. That's absolutely fine. Um, bringing that to the court and, and, and bringing that to the field has its problems, but then again, you can't exactly tell people to stop doing it. It's, it's a, that's a very... Because that involves people, right? So... And we're arguing whether or not people in the NBA are products or players. And so mm, it's awkward who owns what and who enables what, who to say what and when does that affect them. And so it's, that, that's awkward. But in terms of like the league itself, I think it should just be open to all people. And I think, it's, I think the best stance it could be is home to everyone. You know, we, we welcome everybody with everybody's point of view and we support everybody being here. And we will do our best to make sure it's, for want of a better way, um, a level playing field none of you are limited from here outside of what the law tells us to limit so you know uh, maybe some extremist stuff that's definitely banned in the US we don't allow but the thing with everything else is kind of like you want to bring your rainbow flags and wave those at one side of the court knock yourself out they're going to bring whatever they want to bring and so it just doesn't that's I think that's an inclusive enough environment. I think that's the definition of inclusivity. I've noticed that we've lost the term to inclusivity of every one of my opinion, not inclusivity of all opinions. And so that's what I'd like to see happen in games. Sport historically has been massively important for the for people to express their rights and make change with. We saw it at the Olympic Games. We've seen it with lots of different things. And so I think that should continue. But and I'd be nervous to support a platform. And I think companies would be nervous to support a platform which limited anybody's particular view of being able to participate. However, the actual company and the structure that sits on that should probably be a little less political. And the problem is they're up against tiny minorities from either end that are causing them huge headaches, right? The general population just wants to go to a game, wants to turn up, wear their team's jersey, wave whatever flag they want to wave as long as it's not banned. And uh, you know, you know, you know, support their team and leave happy or sad depending on the result. <laughs> That's what they want to do. I go to lots of basketball games in the US. Absolutely love turning up, um, watching the game, supporting a team, leaving happy or sad, and, and I want to do that over and over again. So there's that. Um, low interest rate environments definitely breed people's ability to to take time. We're now in a high inflation environment. It'd be interesting to see how much of that sticks. I think companies will resort to their true nature, and we'll see. We'll see that we're already kind of seeing that happening. Um, companies will will spend less time marketing to certain demographics and more time trying to push product, and that that will that will revert some very basic um, marketing that happens in every recession. 
Um, it will go very basic, very to the point, great deals, get people selling and buying our product. Um, and, and in general, I'll come back to what I said a minute ago, I would love to see an environment where businesses are businesses and people are people and people are allowed to have any opinion they like uh, within reason. And so, uh, and, and companies just focus on being, serving their customers, whoever they are, and stop excluding people. I think companies doing that has been a symptom of a low interest rate, low inflation, at times deflationary environments where, you know, they had tons of capital. They could risk losing customers on principles, uh, uh, principles. and um, now I don't think that's going to be the case. Startups in this environment do not politicize, unless you're a political startup, uh, you believe in something passionate and you are deliberately politicizing something, um, don't. There's no point. You know, I, I wouldn't allow my companies to do it. I don't think that energy businesses um, have a right to have a view on that. Um, I think that generally everybody's important. And so I will try and support everybody that I can, um, uh, regardless of their backgrounds. Sure, some people from some backgrounds have had harder starts. It doesn't matter, you know, statistically harder starts. And so, you know, there might be remedies to that, but I, I don't know if that should be, again, we come back to, we're making good the enemy of the great. You know, this is the best time to be alive as a human being, certainly in the Western world ever, in the history of time. We've gone through the uh, a, a period of low to no war, health outcomes are better, we're living longer, we have higher GDP per capita than ever. Um, are certain people being left behind in that? Statistically, that's proving out to be the case. There's lots of reasons for that. There's lots of remedies for that. We need to focus on the remedies and not on the reasons. And I think companies can serve a massively important role in, in advancing everyone. And if you're really good at doing your job, regardless of your circumstances, I will hire you. And so circumstances and backgrounds, I will hire you. And I don't want a company to feel like anybody's being ostracized in it. I just think a company should deliver its services and if I think of a startup starting up now, you have got so many things to worry about. The inflation environment's problematic. Capital is drying up. You know, uh, credit is incredibly hard to access. That's going to cause you huge stock problems. That's going to inhibit your ability to grow. Employing people will become easier because um, unemployment's likely to go up. But still hard in terms of where do you find the money to pay for these people? Um I, I wouldn't be getting involved in any of that. I'd be looking at your demographic of who's buying and really focus on them. Focus on how you can get them to buy more products in a challenging time, why they're buying it, what they're doing, uh, why they chose you over anyone else. Speak to every customer, every supplier, and try and work out how to make your product better on a day-to-day -day basis. And put your head down and not don't have a, an opinion on anything else apart from delivering to your customers more and more great product. Um, and better and better for cheaper and cheaper. Ideally, that would be my uh, that would be my five twenty seven cents on that. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I, I I love the way you put all that. And, you know, it was excellent how you kind of, you know, you described, you know, how, how uh, you know, I guess marketing should work in sport and, you know, the low interest rate environment and everything like that, especially when, when it comes to startups and, and what's going on right now. But uh, you've been very generous with your time. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, why don't you tell people where they could find you and uh, what all you got going on? Yeah, I mean, we're doing loads of cool stuff. I mean, I, you can find me on um, at Rob F for Francis Nunn or Frank Nunn, um, N-U-N-N, like my name, but with an F in the middle and an at sign at the beginning. Um, uh, we've got some cool companies. People can get involved if they want to get involved. I don't know how, but we'll work that out. Um, and uh, yeah, DM me or, you know, if you're nasty to me on DMs, I do kind of uh, play those out to the public, so you know, be warned. Um, but no, DM me or, or 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 follow me or whatever you want to do there. And uh, we've got lots of cool energy projects coming up. I'm sharing as much as I can with those to get people involved if they want to be involved or just inform them if they want to be informed on that type of stuff. We have um, some great businesses. If you have a business that you thought think might be interesting technology-wise or you know in general, hit me up. I'm interested in interesting people always and have a lovely rest of your day <laughs> yeah thanks so much for coming on man everybody go give him a follow i'm going to link all that stuff in the show notes as well so be sure to give him a follow and uh yeah rob thanks so much man thank you